Welcome to another edition of Capital Cast. I'm Jennifer Fuller. The Illinois legislature worked through the first of its two-week veto session this week. Some unresolved issues were addressed. Others remain on the table for November when they return to Springfield. In this episode, we're joined by the Capital News Illinois team, Editor-in-Chief Jerry Nowicki and reporters Hannah Meisel, Andrew Adams, and Peter Hancock. So let's start with a recap. Jerry, there were lots of issues that we expected to hear about. What did lawmakers take up this week? So yeah, and the short answer was we didn't see too much legislative action at the Capitol. I think there were probably some backdoor conversations as to um, where things might go on some of the big things that we've discussed. But uh, the one major thing that did clear the House um, was a measure allowing legislative staffs to unionize. I think we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but even that still has some work that needs to be done in the Senate as negotiations continue. And then there was the uh, bill for a right of first refusal, which didn't necessarily have any action other than the sponsor saying he will not try to um, override uh, the the governor's veto of a measure that would have given existing utilities in downstate Illinois the, the first crack at new transmission lines. So there are several other things that we might hear about in the in the second week, though. We get deeper on those issues that that were discussed or that something happened. You just mentioned this. So what's left then? A lot of times we hear that lawmakers have a much longer list at the end of a session than perhaps they'd like to have. Yeah, it it honestly, it seems like there might not be too much movement on some of the things the governor has vetoed. Um, of course, the big ones we're trying to wait and see are an Invest in Kids Scholarship Act. Will the state extend that? Um, That was a program uh, giving tax breaks to people who uh, donate to scholarship funds. Um, There was a cannabis-related measure that is sort of looking like it might not move uh, that would regulate Delta 8. Um, There are some things with the elected Chicago School Board and, of course, the lifting of the state's nuclear moratorium to where Uh, There's been some indicators that we might hear about it in the second week, but I don't think it's really clear to anybody whether we will or not. Wait and see, as so often is the case in Springfield. Peter and Hannah, you both have written about the legislative staff union issue. It's passed the House now, but still has an uncertain future. And, you know, Hannah, I'll start with you as this passed the House this week. What's expected when it gets to the Senate? What's the conversation right now? Uh, The conversation is still fairly preliminary, it sounds like, and uh, Senate President Don Harmon and his caucus have not made any, um, you know, promises or public declarations of support. Uh, This is, um, you know, the the dynamics between the uh, Democratic caucuses in the last few years have uh, shifted a lot since... uh, House Speaker Chris Welch became leader of that chamber, and it's uh, become a much more progressive chamber than the Senate Democrats had previously been. And so there is a moderate uh, faction in within the Senate Democrats that appears to be um, running the show a lot of the time. And, um, you know, this legislative union idea um, Illinois is not the first, but uh, if it did pass, we would definitely be one of the first following Oregon in 2021. 
And California, just earlier this month, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a measure to uh, allow legislative uh, staffers there do the same. Other efforts in uh, a number of other blue states um, are in kind of various stages of unionization and getting you know the approvals needed. Um, so it's a very interesting issue, but definitely far from uh, baked or soup, as they might say. Peter, you wrote about this several times as it was coming up before the legislature. These legislative staffers were asking to be able to form a collective bargaining unit. Uh, they believed that they needed legislative approval, despite the fact that there was a constitutional amendment last year uh, that may have... Um, let's say, made things a little more gray than black and white. But, you know, Peter, as this has moved forward, what kind of momentum do you think that it has? And will those moderate Democrats that Hannah mentioned come on board with the measure? That is kind of the million dollar question is whether or not the moderate Democrats in the Senate will jump on board with this. Uh, this really started out in the House uh, where legislative staff uh, you know, they looked at that constitutional amendment, but the statutes in place, uh, and these date back to, I think, the 1970s, 60s or 70s, um, spell out which public employees uh, are able to unionize and how they are governed by the Illinois uh, Public Labor Relations Board. And uh, within that statute, there are certain groups that are carved out that are not uh, under the purview of the Labor Relations Board, the state's LRB. And uh, among them is legislative staff. I think there, there are also some groups within the governor's office and a few others. Um, and so when this constitutional amendment passed, uh, the optics were kind of bad. Because, I mean, here you have this group of employees uh, who work for the people who pushed the constitutional amendment, and yet they themselves were not able to unionize. There are some com complications here when you're talking about the legislature. You know, the legislature meets on days when they want to meet. Uh, they work the hours that they want to work, and sometimes those aren't planned out in advance. And so, you know, negotiating hours, uh, how many days a week, how many hours per week, uh, that gets a little complicated when you're dealing with a legislature. Uh, and so I think the devil is in the details. It's uh, what things are on the table to be negotiated, what things are not. The bill that came out of the House uh, had some exclusions. Uh, you're not going to negotiate who's qualified to be in the legislature not going to negotiate uh, the formation of the organization of the House, uh, the committees, the leadership and things like that. Um, I think, you know, when it gets over to the Senate, I think they'll take a look at it. The thing is, there's not a big push. I mean, it, the, the Senate uh, legislative staff isn't up in arms the same way that the House staff was. And so there's maybe not quite as much of an impetus to push something through. We'll just have to see when it gets there. Sure. And in floor debate, there was even disagreement between Republicans and Democrats over how much staff 
really wanted or, or needed this measure to pass. So I'm sure we'll continue to see uh, additional conversation there. Andrew, I'll turn to you now because we spent a lot of time last week talking about this right of first refusal provision that was in a larger bill that passed this spring, but this specific part had been vetoed. And it was all about how uh, downstate companies, particularly in Ameren, Illinois, would have the right of first refusal when it comes to building these massive transmission lines particularly in the case of, of green energy. But apparently now that uh, provision is, shall we say, dead for now? Yes, that is uh, as much as anything is ever dead in Springfield, dead for now. On Tuesday, the sponsor of that legislation, Representative Larry Walsh, who uh, is also the chair of the House's Public Utilities Committee, um, brought together uh, representatives from Amrin from the union who would be responsible for building these transmission lines and various businesses and business groups uh, to announce that they would not seek to override the governor's veto. And, and like I mentioned last week, it was uh, a bit of an uphill battle to begin with uh, if they had the same votes they had when the original bill passed they wouldn't have been able to override the veto. And there has been some strong pushback in the months since it passed the first time. So we mentioned this is perhaps dead for now, but where does this issue go from here? Well, uh, Representative Walsh said that he intends to bring legislation this spring that will reintroduce this right of first refusal policy, but where the first bill was focused solely on downstate Illinois, uh, basically Amarin and a couple smaller utilities, and had a sunset, he would want this new bill to include all of Illinois and be effective indefinitely. So we move on from that then to something else that you and Peter wrote about this week, and that was not having anything to do with the veto session, but a new initiative from Governor J.B. Pritzker's office, a consolidation of sorts of the state's early childhood programs. What's being proposed and what has to happen for all of this to come together? Well, the governor issued an executive order to kind of get the ball rolling uh, to consolidate all these services under a new as yet to be named state agency. Uh, right now, we have uh, the Department of, well, the, the State Board of Education uh, sends out uh, block grants uh, for early childhood education for preschools uh, around the state. Uh, you have the Department of Human Services that funds in-home visits and early interventions for infants and toddlers. Then you have the Department of Children and Family Services that's in charge of regulating and licensing uh, daycare providers. And the governor says, you know, if you're the parent of an infant or toddler and you need state assistance for any or all of these things, uh, it's like a half-time job just navigating all of the bureaucracy uh, to figure out, uh, you know, where do you go to get certain services? And if you are a provider of services, the same thing, you have to navigate all this bureaucracy to figure out how you draw down funding for various things. And so he wants to put this all under one roof. Uh, this is happening at the same time that we are investing more money. I think uh, the governor has about a, a four-year plan called Smart Start Illinois 
Uh, he started off with like a $250 million increase in funding for various services. Uh, and so he's also trying to streamline it. And I think really the governor wants this to be his sort of legacy. I mean, early childhood education, early childhood services uh, were a big part of his motivation to get into politics in the first place. And so he's really looking, uh, I think, to make his lasting mark in this area of state government. Uh, as far as uh, what happens next, of course, you know, the legislature is going to need to weigh in. It's a multi-year process of starting a new state agency and shifting uh, functions out of existing state agencies. Uh, so it's going to take a little while, uh, but that's essentially what's going on here. There were several issues that had to do with education. We talked last week about, you know, the anticipated perhaps discussion of an extension of the Invest in Kids Act, which is set to sunset at the end of this year. Uh, Peter, you wrote about it leading into the veto session, but from what we can tell, not much going on when it comes to the movement there. Uh, that's right. I mean, if, if you go to the state house uh, when they're in session right now, you will see large groups of people wearing blue T-shirts saying save our scholarships. Uh, these are students and parents and advocates for private and parochial schools that benefit from these scholarship programs so that uh, theoretically uh, students from uh, less wealthy families will be able to access this kind of uh, elite uh, private education uh, that other people are allowed to get. Uh, it's a very dicey thing. It's very it get uh, there are philosophical issues on both sides. Uh, the teachers unions and advocates for public education never like to see public money steered away from public education toward private education. Um, so there hasn't been much movement. Uh, there have been some uh, behind the scenes negotiations about ways to restructure this program. Uh, one bill has been introduced, but has not yet really moved anywhere, uh, hasn't been scheduled for hearings yet. Uh, so I think we're really kind of this is one of those things we're kind of waiting on uh, behind the scenes negotiations and then at some point, we'll either see white smoke or black smoke uh, come out of the chapel roof, and uh, they'll say we either have a deal or we don't. Here, another hurry up and wait issue. Uh, Jerry, I'm going to circle back to you because there was another issue that bubbled up this week, and it it was uh, tangentially related to, to education, and that was how schools and other state-supported facilities provide meals for people with religious dietary restrictions. The proposal had been vetoed earlier this year. So how is this new legislation? This is not an override of the previous veto, but how has this new legislation been changed to address the governor's concerns? So the governor apparently worked with the sponsors on this one to sort of clarify some of the technical language. Um, it allows the state board of education and actually requires them to, uh, as long as the general assembly provides funding to enter into statewide master contracts to um, be able to offer halal and kosher meals to students that request them. And then individual school boards, boards would have to develop the policies to make them available to students. It seems like a fairly straightforward issue, but there were some concerns addressed 
on the floor, particularly when it had to come had to do with um, uh, the penalties or who would be responsible if someone uh, didn't receive something that they were supposed to receive or received something that they weren't supposed to receive. Is that correct? Right. Like, so it also affected prisons. So they said, you know, you're, you're risking extending someone's sentences if they, you know, provide the wrong meal in some circumstance. And, you know, they talked about there might be follow-up legislation on that. And the other thing was uh, both the Halal Foods Act and the Kosher Foods Act point to different penalties under law. Uh, their differing level of misdemeanor, I believe. So there was some worry that that would be a constitutional equal protections clause uh, violation there. And if the sponsor of the bill said that those things could be worked out uh, as it moved to the Senate, I'm sorry, as it moved to the House, uh, and perhaps in additional legislation. So we'll keep our eyes on that. Uh, Hannah and Andrew, one more issue each for the both of you, and really not a lot of movement on either of them. Last week, we talked about uh, a change when it comes to orders of protection, particularly in cases of domestic violence. It's been dubbed Karina's bill. Hannah, we didn't hear much about that this week. Still on the table for the second week of veto session? As far as I heard, I think it's still on the table. I mean, um, the first week of veto session, uh, all the years I've been covering this, it's basically, a, you know, people come back into town, get reacclimated, uh, uh, you know, see each other, maybe touch base, but uh, a lot of socializing. Typically, the heavy lifting gets done in the second week of veto session. Of course, this week in between, a lot of meetings uh, to kind of put things in place. So, you know, I, I don't think that bill is dead yet. I think that things are been working behind the scenes, but I also wouldn't be surprised um, if, you know, we've already seen things get punted to January. And so I wouldn't be entirely surprised if uh, either of these two things get, you know, face the same fate. Andrew, same question for you. We talked last week about this potential override on Governor Pritzker's veto of a bill that lifts the ban on new nuclear construction. Now, this one has a little bit of a, a time hook to it. Do you think it'll still be on the table in two weeks? I think it's definitely possible that it will come up in the second week of veto session, in particular because it has uh, relatively broad support, including from the governor who vetoed the original bill. While an actual override vote might be unlikely, uh, introducing another bill or some other uh, legislative language that will achieve the same effect is definitely still on the table. As is so often the case, there may be other issues that come up in about 10 days when lawmakers return to Springfield. But for now, that'll do it for this edition of Capital Cast. Thank you for joining us. You can find all of our coverage at CapitalNewsIllinois.com and follow us on Facebook at Capital News Illinois or on X, formerly known as Twitter. We're at at Capital News IL. Capital News Illinois is a nonprofit, nonpartisan news service funded in large part by support from the Robert R. McCormick Foundation, the Illinois Press Foundation, and the Illinois Broadcasters Association Foundation, as well as the Southern Illinois Editorial Association. <laughs> <laughs>